Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. All eyes are on the gridiron as teams are back for another football season. And as always, BetOnline is your number one spot for all the pro and college action this season. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Use promo code BLEAVE. B-L-E-A-V, to receive your bonus today. From football, basketball, boxing, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers on the 2021 season. Bet online, where the game starts. All right, everybody, y'all know what that music means. It's time for another fan-flippin'-tabulous episode of the Memes of the Weekend, a podcast where we just get to laugh. That's kind of the whole point of this, is that we get to laugh at all the kooky, wacky things that happened this weekend, uh, give out a few awards, all that fun stuff here on the podcast, and... uh, We've got a good one here today. We've got some NFL action around the Texans and Bills to talk about. We've got who's going to walk away with the Phillip Rivers. Well, I'm getting bad at this. We'll get it. The Phillip Rivers Purgatory Memorial Award this week. And as I guess we do every week, how did the ACC and Pac-12 mess things up again? Because Oregon really done shit the bed this week. So we'll get to all of that coming up in a bit here But first, we begin with Lane Kiffin. Because of course, we're going to begin with Lane Kiffin. Lane Kiffin gets to be the meme of the weekend. First and foremost, he wins. Last week, it was that Dolphins and Raiders game that was just hilariously funny. This week, it's Alabama and Ole Miss, and Lane Kiffin gets to win meme of the weekend. Because Lane Kiffin was returning to Alabama for the first time since... He was the offensive coordinator for the Crimson Tide, which ended in a weird kind of breakup between him and Nick Saban. And Lane Kiffin is the closest thing we have as a college football coach to an internet troll. Like, Mike Leach is the closest thing we have to, like, a conspiracy theorist, but Lane Kiffin's like a troll. Lane Kiffin is a comedian as a coach. Lane Kiffin sees how all of this is kind of silly and likes to poke fun at it a little bit, but he's also son of a coach really good at college coaching, recruiting, building programs. He's done it like five times now. And Lane Kiffin's greatest falter really is, one, Al Davis deciding he wanted to take Jamarcus Russell instead of Calvin Johnson, and two, leaving Tennessee in the middle of the night and almost starting a riot at that school because he left to take the USC job and then got fired from said USC job because, you know, they were going on probation. He didn't really meet expectations. It happens. Lane Kiffin got fired, and because of the emotional public exit he had from Tennessee, it made it that much worse for Lane Kiffin's reputation. So Lane Kiffin goes on the Saban rehab tour, spends three years as the offensive coordinator there, takes the head coaching job at Florida Atlantic, and works his way back to the SEC at Ole Miss. We've done a whole podcast here with our buddy Blake Jude on just the Lane Kiffin story because the Lane Kiffin story is just so funny and fantastic and I won't bore you with that. What I do want to talk about is just specifically what Lane Kiffin did this weekend because he and Saban 
kind of did the like PR thing where they didn't really poke fun at each other and he enjoyed doing a little bit of it afterwards. But as soon as the broadcast started, we got ourselves a Nick Saban, Lane Kiffin type moment that we were hoping for where Lane Kiffin is doing the pregame press conference or sorry, pregame interview on the sidelines with Jamie Erdahl. And he says, quote, get your popcorn ready when asked a question about having a play sheet of Nick Saban former plays because when Kiffin was walking out the door, he studied the holy hell out of the Saban playbook. He made sure to remember all the plays, all the schemes, how thick, how thin, how much you want to keep. He made sure to study all that Nick Saban had on the way out. And so he comes in with a bunch of trick plays last year, and they score 48 points, but Alabama scores 63, and everyone thinks it's going to be another one of these shootouts. And I felt skeptical immediately when I saw the betting line was like 80 and a half for this game. I felt like there's no chance they would get to that. And so Saban... And Kiffin did the PR thing, and then Kiffin says, get your popcorn ready. And before Jamie Erdahl can ask the second question, Nick Saban, t- I'm sorry, Lane Kiffin, it's tough because they're like one-syllable first names and then two-syllable last names. So I, I think I've interchanged Saban and Kiffin a couple times here. But Lane Kiffin, before Jamie can ask the second question, tosses the headset at the camera just about to the right of the camera because he doesn't want to hit the cameraman but he wants to make sure the camera sees that he just tossed the headset and starts jogging down to the other side of the field and if he didn't look so clunky while he was jogging it probably would have been cooler but still Nick Saban I'm sorry Lane Kiffin god damn Lane Kiffin ends up running down to the end of the field I should probably edit that out If you're listening to this, it means I got lazy and didn't edit it out, but damn, I'm mad I messed that up. Anyways, so Lane Kiffin ends up tossing the headset and creating a viral moment, and then he goes out there and he goes down 28-0 to to Alabama at halftime of that game, which is just rough for Lane Kiffin. But Lane Kiffin also gets to establish my new favorite part of Lane Kiffin. And I'd known about this before, but I hadn't watched Ole Miss that closely. In the first half, down 28-0, it wasn't that Alabama was shutting him down. Lane Kiffin had maybe the Heisman Trophy winning quarterback before this weekend on his team, and that felt like a little bit of a by-default thing. And his offense runs the ball a lot and has explosive plays that make people makes people look at them and say, oh, that's a Heisman Trophy quarterback. And... One of the things that Ole Miss does is they go for it, and they go for it a lot. Up to this point in the season, they'd played four games. They'd gone for it on fourth down 14 times. They were playing Tulane the week before Alabama. They were winning 60-20. to They went for it on fourth down in the fourth quarter because Lane Kiffin subscribes to this new principle of coaching in the analytic revolution that is phrased basically by two sentences. Punting is for cowards. Field goals are for cowards. And Lane Kiffin is the first disciple here. Non-air raid revolution. He runs a lot of spread offense schemes. But air raid people have been doing this for like 25 years. And now the numbers are catching up. Which is the idea that if you've got this overwhelming offense, why the hell wouldn't you go for it on fourth down? So in the first half where he scored zero points, Lane Kiffin went for it. Five times on fourth down. 
He went for it five times. The number Lane Kiffin, who had the highest number of go for it on fourth down moments throughout the the season so far, he only had one half of the eight prior where he went for it five times in a half. They went for it again and again and again. They first drive, they went for it three different times on fourth down, converted two, failed on the last one, went for it on fourth down, failed, didn't convert it, and Lane Kiffin went for it at his own 31-yard line on a fourth down, down 14-0. He went for it. Did he get it? No, he didn't. He gave the ball back to Bama. Doesn't matter. Punting is for cowards. Lane Kiffin on national television decided to declare once and for all, punting is for cowards. And then we got to Sunday and we had another disciple of the punting is for cowards tree and subscriber to the punting is for cowards principle. Because Frank Reich with his team up by two touchdowns against the Miami Dolphins. By the way, the Colts are 0-3, but no one knows what to do with the Colts at this point in the season. No one knows what to do with Carson Wentz. He's had like two good games, two shit games, and his QBR averages out to like 92, which is literally the league average. The league average is like 91.6, and Carson Wentz's QBR is like 92. So we don't know what to do with Carson Wentz or the Colts at this point. They're not better than the Titans, I don't think. They lost to the Titans last week pretty resoundingly, and not having Quentin Nelson obviously sucks. But the Colts aren't that bad, I don't think. I don't think anyone really knows what to do with them, like I said off the bat. But Frank Reich, up 14, goes for it on his own 28-yard line on 4th and 1. He didn't even do the spread offense type. He just plowed ahead with Carson Wentz and just said, I'm just going to pummel my way through with Carson Wentz just leaning forward, creaky knees, creaky ankles, creaky back, creaky shoulder, creaky knee, creaky everything. Carson Wentz is just going to fall forward and we're going to get two yards and we're going to go down and score and put the game out of reach. And this is compared to Brian Flores who literally sent out his kicker to take a delay of game knowing they were going to punt it which just doesn't make sense. They were they wanted to take the delay of game to move the punt back five yards, but instead of sending out his offense to do a hard count, he sent out the kicker for what would have been like a 59-yard field goal that they didn't intend to do. So on the contrary side, you have Frank Reich telling Brian Flores, punting is for cowards. And this is the same Frank Reich who, by the way, during his first season in Indianapolis, went for it. With one minute left in overtime, instead of playing for the tie at his own 50 with one minute to go, could have pinned Houston inside their 10 and they would have had virtually no play with a minute to go. And I think like two timeouts or something. But Deshaun Watson could have theoretically gotten a field goal. But Frank Reich basically said, we're going for it on fourth and seven, 50 yard line. We're not playing for the tie. We're playing for the win. He didn't get it. The Texans went down and won the game. Colts got the last laugh because they ended up winning the playoff game that year against the Texans. But Frank Reich is a disciple of this theory, this concept, this religion, this guiding moral stance that punting is for cowards. And if you punt, you too are a coward. And if you kick field goals, you too are a coward like Matt LeFleur. You coward, Matt Lefleur. You'd have nothing against Lane Kiffin. Make, make sure I say that right. Lane Kiffin, not Nick Saban. Lane Kiffin 
Frank Reich, and all of these coaches. Who, Cliff Kingsbury right there with him. Cliff Kingsbury gets to be in the mix too. Cliff Kingsbury says punting is for cowards, but he's kind of cheating because the Air Raid people have been doing this for years. But still, the Air Raid people, Lane Kiffin, Andy Reid, Frank Reich, they are telling you once and for all, punting is for cowards. And you all are cowards who decide to kick field goals and punt. You always go for it on fourth down, even at your own 27, up 14, because you have Carson Wentz, or because you have Matt Corral, or because you have Patrick Mahomes, or that massive, well, not massive, that amazing talent, Baby Yoda, Kyler Murray on your team. Punting is for cowards. All right, let's talk about Urban Meyer. Because this was a funny story from the weekend that Urban Meyer was out watching the return of Rutgers football. And by that, I mean Rutgers losing by 45 points to The Ohio State University. It was a good little run there for Greg Schiano and Rutgers. You know, they'd beaten in Indiana here and there. They covered the spread against Michigan that was only like, I think they, I think they single digit lost to Michigan. Like Rutgers was turning a corner from no longer being literally the worst program in college football. And now Rutgers had a nice little thing going and and it's kind of been washed away by Ohio state this weekend, the return of Rutgers being terrible at football. And, uh, after his team played on Thursday, Urban Meyer decided to watch the game from an Ohio state bar, uh, in, I would presume, Jacksonville, which seems impossibly sad for, you know, maybe the biggest, most successful coach in 30 years at that program. And yet he found himself at an Ohio State bar in the middle of Jacksonville and extricated from the program and not really a part of Ohio State because of all that scandal that they kind of ignored and tried to fire him over but couldn't because public pressure was too strong in the opposite direction to keep Urban Meyer and all that stuff that makes Ohio State not want to associate with Urban Meyer. And so Urban Meyer is at an Ohio State bar. And if you haven't seen the videos, Google it of Urban Meyer grinding up with a woman who is not his wife getting pictures, looking kind of blasted or drunk, not really high. I think he was more drunk than anything else in a photo with a woman asking, who is this guy? He keeps flirting with me. Um, There's photos with two other women. There's photos with a couple guys, and I would guess one of their girlfriends slash partners slash wives. Urban Meyer seemed to have himself a bit of a time, and it ended up going viral a lot of jokes made about home wrecking and all that stuff, but just the idea that Urban Meyer at 0-4 in Jacksonville, who's had all these weird moments so far from like reports that he's just a nuisance and angry to releasing a poorly worded statement after they started 0-2 and just generally looking defeated, looking unhealthy on the sidelines, like all the karma of like 30 years feeling like it's catching up to Urban Meyer right now and just for this to happen to him this weekend and make it seem like Urban Meyer is just trying to drink his feelings away and get caught trying to do the thing that players sometimes do where they talk about never asking whether it's a wife, a girlfriend, a side person, whoever it is. Like You hear stories about that all the time is that you don't ask who the player is bringing to the game uh, because you just don't know what the relationship is. 
all of that stuff and more happening to Urban Meyer just feels fitting for how this has all gone. And it literally, if we're going to call this memes of the weekend, it is a meme. Um, is it fun to laugh at Urban Meyer being miserable? I don't know. It's hard to cross the line sometimes. And Urban Meyer is, again, one of the most unlikable people because of the type of programs he's ran and the compromising of morals. Does that mean I have to compromise my morals? I don't think so. I don't think I want Urban Meyer to suffer, but for Urban Meyer to have things like this happen of his own doing, um, those feel more justified in like laughing at Urban Meyer's pain, even though there are some, I mean, like morals are very important and he, and human health and mental health are really important. But sometimes when you just see the person who comes up with the joke, that it's going to be hard for Urban Meyer to spend more time with his family after this incident it just makes everything that much more funny and make you want to at least compromise a little bit of your morals just like urban meyer to laugh at him getting caught at a bar with a couple of women that he was flirting with while clearly drunk out of his mind again the best coach in 30 years of ohio state football did not get better treatment than a sad jacksonville bar where he could watch Ohio State football and create scandal around himself and his family and, once again, the Jaguars organization. But at least this one doesn't involve children dying or being addicted to drugs or covering up sexual assault and uh, spousal abuse within his program. This one, at least, is all on the hands of Urban Meyer. And it's also silly, because we can laugh at the person who gets caught doing things they're not supposed to, like a kid with the hand in the cookie jar. No pun intended on that one. All right, you whomping Arkansas Razorbacks. You thought I was going to ignore you, putting up zero points against Georgia. Hmm, you feel good about yourselves? See, unfortunately, when I thought Arkansas would cover the spread against Georgia and make a uh, a statement win for the program in a measuring stick type of game, maybe not win, but covering the spread would kind of feel like a win, I did not account for the one thing with more power than the Wampin Razorbacks, which is, of course, the powers of Stenson Bennett. And if y'all don't know Stenson Bennett... If you do know Stenson Bennett in our relation to our podcast, you've been a loyal listener for a long time because Stenson Bennett first came on our radar back in 2019 when uh, I believe it was either Jake Fromm or whoever the interim guy was between Jake Fromm and now JT Daniels. Stenson Bennett was the backup quarterback who had to come in during the SEC championship game for Georgia against Alabama and Stenson Bennett was just a fun name because it's just a it's a hysterically funny name for a quarterback. Stenson Bennett sounds like an old-timey cowboy who's like the guy playing at the pool t- or playing in the old saloon, but he's like one of the people playing cards who stops when the the villain walks in and the sheriff kind of confronts him. He's like a background character. Stenson Bennett is just an excellent name for a quarterback. I would have thought he'd be playing at North Dakota State, but instead he plays for Georgia. And Stenson Bennett ended up having a pretty good game. Was it a was it an all-time type of performance? No, but it made us remember Stenson Bennett. And for some reason, Stenson Bennett just kept hanging around the Georgia program. 
through last year and now into this year. He feels like a super senior, even though I don't think he's a super senior. Stenson Bennett's always just hanging around. Every six months or so, you hear a story about Stenson Bennett. He comes in to substitute for a quarterback here and there. But what happened with Georgia was that both of their quarterbacks were gone this week. JT Daniels, I think, was sick or COVID protocol or something. But JT Daniels was gone. Enter Stenson Bennett to start for the Bulldogs. And Stenson Bennett's powers elevated the Georgia Bulldogs to victory over the Wampin Arkansas Razorbacks. And Stenson Bennett finished 7 of 11 for 72 yards. Why? Because all Georgia did was just run the football. They told Stenson Bennett, don't worry, just hand the ball off and you're good. They ran the ball 56 times compared to 11 passes. Stenson Bennett was not allowed to pass the football for the Ark for against the Arkansas Razorbacks. They said we're just gonna run the ball and just out muscle everybody on that Arkansas team. Why? Because we're Georgia. We've got all five star recruits everywhere. We're the best defense in college football and we've just got giant offensive linemen that yes Arkansas can want people but we just have giant ass offensive linemen. Both giant in terms of they're heavy but also having giant asses. Now we get to our NFL Sunday, and we begin our NFL Sunday by awarding the Memorial Philip Rivers Purgatory Award for the third time to Kirk Cousins, because Kirk Cousins in a 14-7 game found himself down 7, 36 seconds, no timeouts, Length of the field for the Vikings. It ended in a failed Hail Mary. Kirk Cousins actually had no interceptions until this game today, which was quite surprising. Kirk Cousins has had a very good season so far this year. MVP good? No, but still very good season so far for Kirk Cousins. Matching that time in 2019 where we said if Kirk Cousins loses to the Giants, the blueprint is blown up and he proceeded to win, I believe, October Offensive Player of the Month. So, Yeah, Um, the blueprint was not blown up indeed. So with that being said, Kirk Cousins, congrats on your award. Matt Ryan, this is a rough week to get snubbed for this award because you found yourself down five points, length of the field, one timeout. So unfortunately, it wasn't a true Kirk Cousins purgatory as true as Kirk Cousins. But on a different week, Matt Ryan, you probably would have won the award for Philip Rivers Purgatory Memorial Award for being down seven, no timeouts, length of the field. And uh, wasn't quite your week, Matt Ryan, but it wasn't quite the Falcons' week either. By the way, let's just talk about Washington and Atlanta because I never knew how much I needed the Falcons' chaos game in my life. We hadn't had any this year. It felt strange because for about four years, the Atlanta Falcons were, as we mentioned on the regular podcast, the NFL Monday pod, the Falcons were always... 350 yards, three touchdowns, one interception, 
score 30 points, allow 30 points, they're going to win 50% of the games they play, go about 8-8. Eight and eight. And for f- four years, I want to say they went 32-32, and 32, like exactly 500 with that formula. And last year they started tanking, lost a lot of one-possession games, had the worst record in the NFC, and this year they are almost designed to lose. Not quite as much as the Lions or Eagles, but still designed to lose. These were very non-stereotypical Falcons games to start the year. The They got pummeled by the Philadelphia Eagles. They got pummeled by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They played a really boring game, low scoring, no offense against the Giants. We said last week, I feel sorry for everyone who had to watch that game as the local market. Although it did end on a young way coup made field goal, it wasn't a Falcons game. This was a true Falcons chaos game. 35-30 crazy touchdowns JD McKissick lunging from the five yard line and scoring Taylor Heineke throwing up a prayer right before that and having it be hauled in by McLaurin because the safety just totally lost him in coverage to score a prayer 40 yard touchdown right before that to make it 28 30 going for it for two well actually let's let's slow it down here first planning to go for it for two to tie the game then having a false start on Washington, back it up to the seven. Falcons get a stop, but they get penalized, so half the distance to the goal. Washington goes again on the three and a half, and in this moment, you're thinking, of course they're going to score. That's how it works for the Falcons. The Falcons get a stop, get a penalty, and then Washington's going to tie the game with a two-point conversion. No, Atlanta actually gets the stop again. Falcons get the ball, immediately give it back to Washington. Washington goes down the field and scores because J.D. McKissick jumps from literally the four-yard line and crosses the plane. Although if he hadn't scored, it would have been better for Washington because they could have gone anti-Lane Kiffin, field goals are for cowards, need the ball down a bunch of times at the four, and kicked a field goal as time expired, not having to give the ball back to the Falcons. So this was almost like a Todd Gurley situation over again from last year when he accidentally scored the touchdown for the Lions and the Lions won in like one minute. But Washington scored with 35 seconds left. Matt Ryan had his Phillip Rivers purgatory drive, ends in a Hail Mary, batted to the ground. We got ourselves a Falcons chaos game and it felt good. It just felt good to have a Falcons chaos game again. I missed it so much. Just felt so great to have that back in my life again. Felt like a morning game, a morning window of games with having the Jets have a close game at MetLife and thinking they would lose, but they did end up going all the way to overtime and winning. So shout out to them. We had a weather game in Buffalo. That felt normal again, having a crazy weather game in Buffalo where someone bets the under, or I'm sorry, bets the over and then just sees like torrential winds and they're like, oh, I might have made a mistake here. And Davis Mills, Davis Mills, someone I, I heard on the, on um, I think it was Levitard shows post game show that they, the, apparently the internet is calling him neck fulls. And that is, I wish I had come up with that joke myself. I wish I had made that joke back in, I think it was last Thursday when he made that start on Thursday Night Football and looked pretty okay. Like, not great, but looked looked like a backup quarterback. And then Neck Foles came in today against Buffalo, and he had literally a zero QBR. There has not been a quarterback that played an entire half of football that had a zero QBR since Nathan Peterman, 
Davis Mills, your new Nathan Peterman, ladies and gentlemen. Congratulations for taking the baton. Neck fulls. You get to be the new Peterman. He ha- Here's his stat line in the first half. One for seven. Three yards. Three interceptions. They had, if you count the sacks, which was sacked three times, they had negative 23 passing yards. Negative 23 for the Texans. This is where you you learn that bad teams are actually bad because the games where they lose, they get smoked. And the games that they win, they win ever so slightly. They're like small one-possession margins. I guess they beat the Jaguars by two possessions, but the Jaguars might be worse than the Houston Texans still. Boy, it was rough to be a Houston Texans fan or a Neckfuls fan or even a Neckfuls supporter because that man is a third-string quarterback. He is the Peter man. He is all of the jokes you want to make about Davis Mills. They are free reign, even though it is kind of like beating a dead horse at a certain point because Davis Mills know he's set up to fail. I think I made the joke last week with Stripe where I'm like, David Cully and Davis Mills are going to be like a, a period in time where we're like, was that real or did we just dream that that was a thing? Did we just dream that Neckfuls and David Cully was a real thing? It's like Steve Wilkes. Was Steve Wilkes a real coach or was he just a figment of our imagination? Now, apparently the defensive coordinator at Missouri, by the way, Speaking of which, I did not realize that we have all of the failed SEC assistant coaches who couldn't get to Alabama. Because, like, Alabama's picking up, like, the failed NFL coaches, like Doug Marone and Bill O'Brien and, I guess, Steve Sarkeesian. He was the offensive coordinator for Alabama for a time. I'm sorry, for Atlanta. So he was college, but then he went to the NFL. But Saban picks up all the failed NFL coaches. So all the failed SEC coaches, they go to Arkansas, apparently, because you had, uh, I believe it was Loot, the former coach at Ole Miss, was on Arkansas's staff. You had Barry Odom, the former Missouri coach, was the defensive coordinator for Arkansas. You had a whole staff filled with failed SEC coaches working at Arkansas under Sam Pittman, who's from Oklahoma. But if you, again, you Google a picture of Sam Pittman, he looks like Arkansas football coach. The same way Ed Orgeron sounds like LSU football coach. My man, Sam Pittman, looks like Arkansas football coach. And Sam Pittman also has decided to recruit all of the failed SEC coaches to be his coordinators at Arkansas. All right, to wrap up the podcast here today, how did the Pac-12 and the ACC bleep things up this weekend? Because the Pac-12 and the ACC are both really sad conferences, more specifically the ACC Coastal, but the ACC Atlantic gets to double dip this week, because now without the threat of Clemson, all ACC is fair game at this point. So undefeated Clemson. I'm sorry, undefeated Boston College, no longer undefeated. Was it expected? Absolutely, but Boston College covered the spread against Clemson, and you know what? That's a victory for that program. Wake Forest still undefeated, though. Congrats to them. Uh, Remember Georgia Tech, the team that just beat North Carolina last week, almost beat Clemson two weeks ago? You remember Georgia Tech. They've been the weird, fun surprise this year in the ACC. 
Their ass got smacked by Pittsburgh this weekend by 31 points in a true ACC Coastal type of game. Why is this a true ACC Coastal type of game? Because Pittsburgh lost to Western Michigan, you may remember, two weeks ago. Row the boat. So Pittsburgh, who is probably not going to win the division, or if they do win the division, it'll be because everyone else is terrible, ends up beating Georgia Tech by 31 points. Georgia Tech was supposed to be second place in the division, only behind Miami. At least this week, what happened to Miami? They lose to Virginia at home, because that happens in the ACC Coastal. If you're Georgia Tech, you're feeling yourself. You're 2-1 in the conference. You just lost to Clemson only by a last... You were down to the last play with a chance to beat Clemson. You beat ranked North Carolina by like 20 points. You're feeling yourself. You lose at home to Pitt. You're Miami. You haven't played a conference game yet, but everyone else has lost in the conference. You're looking at your path, and you're seeing a way to win the Coastal. First game out, lose to Virginia at home. Just in true ACC Coastal fashion, they're just all going to beat each other up. Pitt has already lost their season. They they might be the favorites again. North Carolina might be the favorites again in the Coastal. Who knows? It's just a cluster bleep. Virginia Tech might be at the top there, but Virginia Tech also lost after beating North Carolina. So who knows at this point? The whole division is just total just everyone it's just ACC Coastal being the ACC Coastal everyone's going to beat each other up no one's going to win more than eight games they're going to go usually play Clemson that probably won't be the case this year because Clemson's got the one loss in the conference and they're kind of struggling at this point so really Clemson just needs one more loss to not win the Atlantic which is kind of weird to think about but normal circumstances they'll go lose to Clemson if they're going to lose to Wake Forest or they're going to lose to North Carolina State or whoever they're going to lose to the ACC Coastal will go do it. So, pure ACC Coastal weekend. In terms of the Pac-12, oh boy, Pac-12, yikes. UCLA was feeling themselves. Remember when they were ranked number 14 in the country? And then they lost to Fresno State in that absolute cluster bleep weekend two weeks ago for the Pac-12. When, like, Northern Arizona beat Arizona and USC beat, or USC lost to, like, Washington State and Oregon State was pulling a spoiler, and Utah was losing to BY or Utah was losing to San Diego State, and Arizona State was losing to the Mormons at BYU and all that stuff. They were losing to Pac-12 teams, FCS teams, all that stuff. They all were losing in one weekend. Well, UCLA took the L to Arizona State after taking the L versus what was it, Fresno, then beating uh, Stanford who then just went on to beat Oregon this weekend because the Pac-12 just all beats each other up and Noah gets to be good. Not even when Oregon gets a hope, a hope of making the college football playoff or when UCLA has a hope of making a New Year's Six Bowl game. You don't even get the hope because it gets immediately dashed by Fresno State and by one of the other Pac-12 South teams because Arizona State goes into UCLA and wins. You know how I was just joking about the ACC Coastal, how you're going to lose a home game to Pitt or a home game to Virginia when you feel like you've got the conference on lock, the Pac-12 equivalent is losing a home game to Arizona State. Washington, remember Washington? They beat Cal last week in that overtime game where Cal iced their kicker the wrong way and lost. Well, Washington 
ended up losing to Oregon State and their magical turnover chainsaw. Now, is Oregon State good? No, Oregon State is most definitely not good this year, but Oregon State is good enough to be 2-0 in conference play at this point. So, good on you, Oregon State Beavers. You guys are uh, pulling spoilers everywhere. You beat USC, you beat Washington, Washington State beat Cal. Washington State didn't have a win all season until they just beat Cal and... uh, of course, Stanford, who had lost the game. Oregon, you were going to survive it. You lost C.J. Verdell. Shout out to the 619. He's gone for probably the season, but your season doesn't matter anyways because you lost in overtime to Stanford. Stanford doesn't even get to be ranked after this week because they've lost too many games already this season. All these teams just going to beat each other up. Pac-12 and ACC every damn week. I don't know if y'all find this as funny as I do, but these two conferences are just terrible. It's just terrible football. They're all mediocre. How do you have a conference of all mediocre teams? It's like you created a division in the NFL, like the NFC East, except it was the Lions and the Broncos and the Giants and the Bears. Just all mediocrity. And then they were 12 teams deep, so you created an entire conference of mediocre. You know, like one side you had the Chiefs taking on the Packers for the conference championship. And then on the other side you have, I don't know, let's say the Chargers battling it out against the Panthers. For the conference championship, it's just such bad football. And it's so funny, which is why we're talking about it on Memes of the Weekend, our longest Memes of the Weekend podcast yet. Thank you to everyone who is supporting these podcasts. And make sure to check out all the other cool podcasts from last week. Check out our oral history on the Detroit Lions. You want to laugh at the Lions more than Jared Goff having an interception with his elbow? check it out. Uh, If you want to laugh at the Falcons and the fact that Cordero Patterson is stealing all of Kyle Pitts' targets, we've got a podcast for you last week on that. All that stuff and more. Seven pods a week. Uh, Again, everyone, even if you're not going to listen, downloads count as listens, so download those episodes, leave five-star reviews, all that stuff. To our most loyal of listeners who are stopping in all the way through, I love you. I love each and every one of you so much. Thank you for making this dream become somewhat of a reality. We're on our way. So have a great day, everybody. And uh, I hope you got a little laugh out of this Memes of the Weekend pod. Talk to you again tomorrow.